Hey everyone, this is Bruce again, and you're listening to another episode of Clearly Unfiltered. Clearly Unfiltered is a short-form podcast that offers clear, concise, unfiltered, and undoubtedly flawed thoughts on how and why I'm butchering some of my own sacred cows. In each episode, I'm going to let those steaks sizzle and serve them up medium rare or blue, and now and again, well done or charred. This episode is the final part of my three-part mini-series about sex ed that I've been presenting with my friend Ashley. If you haven't yet listened to the rest, find episodes 7 and 8 and give them a listen first. In this last installment, Ashley and I focus on inclusivity, and in fact I think this is the most important of all the parts of this conversation. Because in a world where marginalized folk have historically had to hide who they are, Good sexual citizenship includes celebrating everyone for who they are. Just before recording this intro, in fact, my ex-evangelical radar found this tweet from Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis. God doesn't want LGBTQIA plus acceptance. God wants queer flourishing, queer dancing, queer jubilation, a celebration of the beauty and wonder they have made. I can't think of any better way to introduce the last part of this conversation and so to conclude the series that I thoroughly enjoyed putting together and I'm super grateful to Ashley for joining me. Let's pick up where we left off. And ideally, like you said, in tandem, it should be their their parent and their teacher working side by side to, to make sure they have comprehensive, that word is super important, comprehensive education when it comes to this kind of stuff. Ashley, you mentioned um, part of this work uh, being about, you know, being inclusive. And I think an important part of this conversation for me is is particularly around the question of gender diversity um, and the LGBTQIA plus community. And I think in Canada, you, you're probably more liberal than in some parts of the world, so that might be more visible. But I, I can guarantee you around the world there are kids who are in homes where they have two moms and two dads or one of their parents might be trans or um, gender non-conforming or kids themselves are wrestling with their identity. And so I think more than ever, an important part of this conversation is to develop kids' empathy muscle, to help them be more inclusive in their thinking and and more accepting and affirming of of others. Uh, You know, what's your experience of of that part of this work when we think about education you're trusting your your kid to go there eight hours a day so you obviously trust this adult to take care of your to take care of your child make sure they you they have their best interest you know if they're feeling sick you trust that they'll call call home you trust that if they forgot their lunch you'll get a call as well or maybe the teacher will give them a lunch i think you also need to trust that their validating and seeing who your kid is. And part of that is being maybe much more seeing different things than you see. So we see these students for eight hours every single day in a really closed environment. And so maybe we're noticing things about even something simple, like uh, they're not super comfortable in the uniform if they're in uniform. Maybe it's a gendered uniform and you notice, you know, they're always pulling their shirt out or taking their tie off and they don't necessarily want to conform to the gender norms. Or when everyone else is playing soccer, they 
uh, are, you know, practicing their dance moves in the corner, these kind of things. So those sort of things feel a little bit more accept acceptable, you know, we can understand that if a, a boy doesn't want to play soccer, maybe he wants to do ballet. That feels understandable. But at the same time, teachers also see and validate the families that we have in our classes and the schools, our books need to reflect that, our posters. So if we're studying a scientist and that scientist happens to be um, non-binary, if we just forget that tiny piece of their identity but teach about all of their accolades, then if we've got a student right in front of us who's feeling some of those sort of similar feelings and identifying with that scientist, if we leave that little piece out and don't mention it or we kind of brush it to the side if a student asks a question, we're not validating them. Yes, we teach these these students math and English and science, but we also are, I think, a really good teacher. And most of the teachers I know just want to like embrace that student and really like validate them for who they are. I, that kind of is the essence of teaching. You're, you send your kindergarten, your grade one, your grade nine off to school eight hours every single day. And really you want your teacher to see them. Yeah. And so gender inclusive education, LGBTQIA plus edu education is, is a part of their world. And we need to validate who they are, who their family is, the television shows they're watching. We would, it would be, we would just be off in left field if we only taught heteronormative education. It would feel so off to me, just the same way that if you only celebrate, you know, let's say for example, in Canada, we only celebrate Christmas. We're not going to look at Hanukkah. We're not going to talk about Diwali. We're not going to talk about it. We just celebrate this one thing. Even though I know in my class, you know, half of them are Jewish. That, yeah. that for yeah. me um, is a good example because you can't just pretend like that doesn't exist. You know, just I'm going to look the other way because it feels uncomfortable. Let's say as a teacher, it feels uncomfortable or as a parent, it feels uncomfortable for me to have this conversation. If it, that's, that's the reality of the world. And to validate these students, you have to just, you just have to, or you need to um, teach them in a way that feels really comfortable to them. And, and they, your school should be a place where they feel completely and utterly accepted in the home as well. Yeah. And I think that acceptance is so important. I mean, I, I hate bringing people down to statistics, but it's remarkable, you know, I think particularly if, if kids feel they belong in a space, um, but especially if, you know, kids who, who have come out as, as gay or trans or whatever it is, um, it, if they have one affirming adult in their life, their chances of self-harm or suicidal ideation goes down exponentially. Yeah, how can we not as, as teachers and parents want that for our kids? to feel safe, to feel at home in their own skin. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think most teachers get into it because you want to impact and support your students. And this is one way that you can. And if you're not doing it, you're still sending out a message. So if you decide, yeah. if you decide, I'm not going to, I'm not going to step into this arena. I'm not going to have these conversations. You're having a whole different conversation because you're ignoring it. You can't just be um, neutral in this situation. There's no area for that right now if you're a teacher um, and a parent, to be honest. Yeah. So let's talk about parents to close. For parents who might be fearful of this, and I know you've probably encountered parents in your own context as you've 
been integrating um, responsible sexual citizenship into the curriculum. You've encountered parents who might be fearful of what this might mean for their kids. What, what, what advice would you give parents who are fearful of comprehensive sexual education or who are worried about it? This one actually feels like a, an easy question for me, which you wouldn't think that it would, but just like look up the curriculum, find out what the content is. I think people are scared because they're not exactly sure what's being taught. They're like, oh my gosh, my kindergarten is being taught about sex. Okay. What specifically? Because you can go look at the specific years that things are taught. You can also ask your teacher for a heads up. So listen, um, you can ask the teacher for the curriculum as well. They'll send it to you. We're not hiding what we're teaching. That doesn't make much sense. Your, your teacher probably wants the student. It, ideally, this isn't the first time they've heard it. <laughs> ideally, we're just reinforcing concepts they've heard. So if you just ask the teacher, when are you teaching this specific content? Or before you teach about, I don't know, consent, could you send an email home to parents about a week before just so that we can talk about it at dinner? So I think that's, that's the way that you could approach this. And you... It, it feels scary. I even, my, my daughter's going into pre-kindergarten. And for me, I'm in a new province. I'm thinking, okay, what, what is she going to learn? You know, she's, she's going to be influenced by these other adults. It's only been my husband and I, her daycare educator. I feel nervous about it, but I'm going to go. I'm going to look up the curriculum. For me, it's like math and English and these sort of things. Where should she be? Um, you know, is, I just want, I want her to feel comfortable. I also want her to feel loved. Um, but I'm going to look up the curriculum that, that they're going to be teaching my daughter so I know what to expect. And I think that that's the way that you do this as opposed to just being fearful that when your student, when your kid goes to school, they're learning things that don't align with your values or that are too um, difficult for them to understand or, you know, or, or something that that's fear-based as opposed to information-based. I know for me, when I get the more information I have, the less fearful. Yeah. And I think also I've always come from the point of view that whatever my daughters come home with or what they've heard at school and we have conversations about those things, you know, that gives me an opportunity as, as a parent to, to also – you know, sort of almost collaborate with teachers on this work and to, and to continue that education at home. Mm -hmm. But speaking about home and, and maybe to end with this, because I think some people will, will ask this, and this is a question you put to me as well, is why not just leave this in the home? Why not just say, well, you know, responsible sexual citizenship should not be taught in schools or anywhere else but the home. Let let each person just stick to their own way of doing things. I think a lot of this stuff is relational. So it's about the way two, three, four, eight people interact. So yes, you could teach friendship skills, for example, to your to your three year old, but when or or sharing, but you can't really see how they do it until you see them with another with another kid. Or when they're really frustrated, do they share? So when you're looking at like uh, healthy relationships, great, you can teach that. But do they practice that day in and day out with their friends? And then when they get older, you know, when we're, you're teaching consent at home, do they practice consent day in and day out with with um, 
their friends. And then the other piece is that these issues are coming up at school. And if a teacher were just to say, oh, we can't talk about that every time an issue comes up, uh, it's sending the wrong message and you're missing an opportunity for to a, a real learning opportunity. Like I said, with the sort of issue with like boys hitting each other in the crotch. But if I were just to say, oh, we can't talk about this right now and send an email home, we don't know. Maybe we're getting 35 different messages from 35 different parents when they come back into the classroom we maybe haven't solved the issue. We have no cohesive understanding of what feels safe, what feels like consent. Was there consent there? Was there not? So you're creating a group of sort of, of citizens. You're creating a group of kind students and they all kind of go up together. So I think the fact is that it needs to happen in both. And it goes back to the fact that a lot of this stuff in practice is with other people. And that's And that's where they get their interaction is in school. They're there, you know, 40 hours. It's a, almost a full-time job 40 hours a week yeah they're probably probably waking hours at school more than they are at home and so mm -hmm. i mean i believe it's i believe it's a partnership there are a couple of things i'm taking away from this conversation with you ashley the first is is that i think particularly those of, of us that are from more conservative backgrounds need to maybe dig a little deeper and 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 get rid of fear and realize that this is a really, really important conversation. If we, if we are going to have kids going out into the world who really understand what it means to respect other human beings, not just in, in, in a sexual kind of interaction kind of sense, but, but as good citizens, these are conversations that need to be had. And, and I, I get the sense that even, you know, even if that you have some sort of moral opposition to some of these things, when you understand this as a human rights issue, you know, like people's lives are at stake. People need to be seen. Um, um, we can't go around violating others. I, I think, I think, you know, that's something that we need to wrestle with is even if we've grown up conservatively, our kids need to have a more inclusive and open view of the world and need to need to understand how to be those good citizens and, and need to love each other in, in real ways. But I, I also, I think this whole connection between school and home for me, it really sort of struck, struck me. And I think this idea of, of, of parents and schools working together, understanding the curriculum, being able to continue those conversations at home really, really strikes me as, as, as important. Um, and so I think we could speak about this for forever and I'm already looking at the time here and I've probably taken up too much of your time, but, uh, this, you know, I'm going to have to break this into smaller chunks, but, um, this has been a fascinating conversation and maybe at some time in the future, there'll be opportunity to, to dive into one or two of these topics, um, in more detail, but, but I want to thank you for your time and your passion for this work and your willingness to just speak with me and engage uh, on this important topic. Thank you as well. So in the last three episodes, we've spoken about a ton. There's a ton to unpack as well, but that's it for now. And we might revisit this at some stage. And I also want to thank you for listening. And I want to thank Ashley a ton for joining me. I really enjoyed recording this with you. In two weeks or so, I'll be releasing an episode called Binary. 
in which I'll unpack some of the ways polarized thinking made me a real jerk and how I've learned to celebrate a broader and more inclusive lens through which to see the world. Until then, keep cool and stay safe.